Hey guys, welcome to the Pace and Racing Podcast, the Canadian Triathlon Podcast made in mind for the age group triathletes. Now today's guest is Canadian professional triathlete Jackson Laundry. Now I'm excited to talk to Jackson today for so many reasons. Now first off, he's a fellow Canadian from here in Ontario, so I'm super pumped about that because I get to see him quite a bit at the odd local race. Now secondly, he's a stack performance triathlete, which is obviously very fitting for this podcast because we're big fans of stack performance here on this podcast with their indoor bike trainers. And surprisingly enough, he also rocks a Blue 70 wetsuit, which is also awesome because again, like Stack, we're big Blue 70 supporters. Now, he's also a member of the Loring Personal Coaching Triathlon Club, which is the second triathlete from the LPC team here on the show. And he's also the second of the pros that came out of Guelph to be on the show. Now, as you hear in this episode, Guelph just seems to be some sort of Ontario mecca city for the top performing triathletes as of lately. So, in today's podcast, you'll get to hear about him and his training and racing with the guys from Guelph and the LPC team and how training and numbers can be beneficial. And we also talk about how he dialed in his aerodynamics and cycling by using the Stack Performance Virtual Wind Tunnel. Now, Jackson gives us a ton of takeaways when it comes to training, so definitely be sure to grab a pen and paper and enjoy the episode. Now, let's cue the music. So today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors who I'm beyond humbled and excited to represent. The first one is Scody. Now I'm excited to work with Scody and represent them because I've always been back and forth between triathlon suits and triathlon apparel as there's just so many different styles and quality out there and price ranges are obviously a huge factor for me. So Scody's always been an eye catcher and you may have heard some of your favorite triathletes and cyclists like Triathlon Taren and Melissa Hoschild are huge Scody supporters. So let me break it down what separates Scody from the other triathlon apparel that I've tried in the past. Now, first off, the range of apparel they have is simply amazing. They have cycling jerseys, bibs for men and women. They have running shirts, jackets, singlets, shorts. And for triathletes, they honestly have some of the best designed triathlon suits and shorts I've ever seen. Now, they have designers at hand and can offer custom design apparel, which was another important factor for me because I wanted to create an amazing custom triathlon suit to represent pacing racing. And they definitely exceeded my expectations. Now, you can see the final product of that by searching my Instagram at pacing.and.racing. It's absolutely my favorite triathlon suit that I've worn yet, and I can't wait to represent it in my 2019 season. So lastly, the quality and price were another huge important factor for me. And the fact that I'm able to find an apparel and tri-suit brand that offers professional quality, but still offers it at a price that the average age grouper can afford is what sealed the deal. Now, all their apparel is pro-grade and wearing it, you won't chafe on long races and it won't suffer the wear and tear like many of the other cheaper products do that are on the market today. So for all you diehards out there, they also offer the customized ITU compliant suits. So if you guys want to check them out, you can find them on Instagram by searching at Scody Australia, which is spelled at S-E-O-D-Y-A-U-S, or go to www.scody.com slash pacing and racing. And of course, use the 10% off code pace and race. Or if you're on Facebook, you can search Scody Australia. So the second sponsor of today's podcast is Stack Performance. Now, for those who haven't heard of Stack Performance, then definitely turn up the volume here and put down whatever you're doing right now because they're a brand that you'll be seeing more and more of in the future as they're absolutely doing incredible state-of-the-art engineering with their indoor bike trainers and their virtual wind tunnel. So first off, not only are they supporters of the Pace Racing podcast, but they're also big supporters of some amazing triathletes out there like Cody Beals, Lauren Brandon, and Jackson Laundry. 
Now, what separates Stack from other indoor bike trainer brands is that they use magnets instead of flywheels on their back wheel. So that ultimately makes it a silent smart trainer, which is awesome if you're like me and you get a lot of your training done when your daughter goes down for a nap or even people who live in condos who have neighbors close by. And you can even turn on your TV and watch Netflix without having to crank up your volume above 50 just to watch the show over the bike trainer, which I think is a neat perk. Now, the other thing about the trainers is that they're compact and portable, so you can take them with you wherever you go. And what I really enjoy most about it is how it operates on Zwift. Now, myself, along with Cody Beals and Jackson Laundry, are currently putting together a complete review video on it, so you can find out more about this in greater detail in the coming weeks. So definitely be sure to keep an eye out for it on the Pace Racing YouTube channel. Now, they also offer a chance to use their virtual wind tunnel to really hone in on your aerodynamics using the state-of-the-art 3D scanning, which you'll hear Jackson and I talk about in today's podcast. So if you want to go ahead and check out these indoor bike trainers or check out the virtual wind tunnel, then you can head over to stackzero.com and you can also find them on Instagram by searching at stack and that is S-T-A-C underscore performance. So Jackson Laundries, welcome to the Pace Racing Podcast, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Obviously, thank you for coming on the show and super happy to have you on here today because, I mean, not only as we're just talking about, not only are you a stack performance athlete, but you're also a Blue 70 athlete, which is also pretty cool. And most like most importantly, I should say that you're a Canadian professional, which is awesome because you also race locally here in a lot in Ontario. So you, you, I mean, you pretty much hit all the benchmarks here on this podcast. So <laughs> you're off to a good start. Good job on that. <laughs> oh, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No worries. So now how have things been uh, lately? Obviously you just got back from St. Anthony's triathlon, which was very cool. So sort of run us, run us by sort of how it went, like how'd you make out and how'd you feel the race went? Yeah. Well, I just did that race, um, on, well, right now it's yesterday and it was, it was a good tune up race for sure. I mean, I went into it a little bit, um, more tired than what I would for a typical race just because I'm racing six days well, six days later, which is five days from now in St. George at the North American 70.3 championship. So whenever you do that, you kind of always go into the first one a little more tired and then hit the second one a little bit better. Or if you're more focused on the first one, you hit the first one really well. And then the second one, you're starting to kind of lose some of that form or fitness. So it, it went pretty well, though. I mean, I had a good swim. I came out with the second group, and I was like a minute and 15 from the leaders, which included Ben Canute, who's one of the best swimmers probably in the world for triathlon. And uh, on the bike, I just I tried to really make that charge, and I just came up a few watts short. and I just didn't quite have that push that I needed to get up into the top three. So really, ideally, I would have passed. Like, there were three athletes ahead off the swim, and I would have – I should have been able to – or could have on a good day been able to come off the bike kind of in uh, second there. But I, I came up just short, and I was kind of in that range of just in third, fourth, fifth, like the three of us were together. And then I ran, I ran not bad, and uh, I kind of just hung on for fourth place. I, I, uh, I ran about the same as I do here the last couple of years. So fourth again, and you know, not not too shabby. And I'll take fourth for sure on on a, a bit of an off day. But I really think it bodes well for next weekend because it's a uh, doing an Olympic distance race is a good tune up for a uh, for a half because even even though I didn't have a perfect day, my I was a little bit above for sure that half Ironman pace the whole day. Um, so it's great to get, you know, almost two hours in at above half iron pace. It's a perfect training day. 
Yeah, exactly. Like you said, just the doing the Olympic a week before, I think it's perfect because you, like you said, it's a hard, hard, good training day to kind of get yourself ready and get your race ready as well. Like mentally prepared in racing and to compete with guys like Ben Canute in that, in that race. I think that's awesome. So is there a lot of travel distance between the two races? Like have you been doing a lot of traveling or are they both local to each other? Well, this one's important. And then St. George is Utah. So it's, it's not close, but it's not too bad uh, flight wise. I'm staying here in uh, Florida with a friend of mine, Nick Chase. He's also a pro triathlete. And so we're flying straight from Tampa to uh, Las Vegas, which is about a two and a half hour drive or a two hour drive from the race site in Utah. So it's not a terrible travel day. Like we fly like 11 a.m. to something like 1.30 p.m. So with three hour time difference. So it's like a four hour flight or something. And then we have a two hour drive. So it could be a lot worse um, in terms of the travel there. It'll be a full day by the time you kind of drive to the airport and back and stuff, but I've done worse for sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So that's good that it's relatively, it's, that's a lot better than you having to come back to Ontario and then, and then go back out. So it's, it's nice to sort of get two races out within a week span without traveling too, too far again. So no, that's good. And now kind of moving along here, we, we sort of have a lot of questions today on things like training tips and improving aerodynamics and, and sort of how age groupers can, can check theirs as well. But I mean, before we sort of get into all that fun stuff, let's, let's hear a bit about your backstory and like sort of what was your motivation or reason to start training for your first triathlon? And uh, yeah, like what made you start the sport? Well, I've got a bit of a, a different history in the sport than maybe most people would expect. I actually started, my very first triathlon was 2004. Four, I believe. So I was 11 years old, or I might not have even quite been 11 yet. But I wasn't really hooked right away. Like I was very competitive as a. I've always been very, very competitive. Like I, I always got so nervous for races as a kid because I just wanted to do well and and I wanted to you know compete and win, obviously. And I did this local Kids of Steel triathlon uh, in my hometown, Belleville, and there were 64, I believe it was, in my age category, and it was a 100 meter swim. I can't remember the exact bike distance. I want to say something around 10K or 8K and then a run of about 2K. And in the 100-meter swim, I finished last out of everyone in my age category, girls and boys. And uh, and then I, I biked. I had a mountain bike. I don't know. I was like 20th or something. And then I ran not bad. I was like fifth or something on the run. And I came in something like 20th in my age group. So not exactly stellar. And, you know, I, I, I thought it was interesting and I, I liked it, but I just, I used to get so nervous for races and I was into so many sports as a kid that I just, I never really had training or, or focused on it at all. So each year I would do this race once a year and I wouldn't really train, but just getting older and kind of a little more experienced by doing that one race each year, I got better and better each year. And then by the time I was a teenager, I was winning the race. And then I guess when I was 15, my dad and I decided to train for the Peterborough Sprint Triathlon. So we trained for like six weeks or something. And that went not too bad. I came something like 80 something place out of out of like 400. And I uh, did not too bad in the junior category. And from there, we just kind of gradually started training more each year and, and building it up. And, and I really didn't start getting into kind of doing the elite stuff and pro racing or even like junior elite stuff until I was like 18, 19. And then I kind of yeah joined LPC when I was, uh, I must have been 19. And uh, I, that's where I really started to, that's the first time I started training year round, like doing something in the winter more than just like a couple runs. And uh, James kind of started writing my training. And the first year I remember thinking, oh, 
if I do at least half of what he gives me in the winter, that's pretty good because I haven't done anything prior to that. So I just kind of built it up. And, and each year I started doing more. And the first year with James, I went to World Championship Age Group. That was the Sprint Triathlon in London. And I was able to get second in my age group. And then the next year I did the Olympic Tri Age Group, which was 2014. And I got third. And then after that, I, I decided I was going to race pro and kind of that was it dude that's it's actually really cool like i i love to hear a story like that because a lot of people just naturally think that if you're if these pros are out there racing that they were gifted right from the start right so that's a perfect example of, of really just putting in the time of work like like i said when, when you first started you were just an average age group right like you didn't think anything of it and then it's, it's really cool to see the big change actually when you uh, started working with the lpc tri team because that's when you started to notice some big results and I guess that just kind of came down to more focused training or, or proper training that sort of worked for you. But no, that's, that's very cool, man. I always like to see that. And then, I mean, now we flash forward to the present and we just saw last year, you had a stellar 2018 season with, I think it was like five podium finishes in the 70.3s. And, and on the side of those 70.3s, though, you also participated in like quite a few local races here in Ontario, which is also super cool to see like pro triathletes still showing face at the races that, that they sort of always attended before they went pro. So and that's really cool because uh, the one I'm thinking of is, uh, multi-sport Canada race in Wasaga Beach, where you came first in both the sprint and Olympic on the same day, which was super cool. Because I don't think I've ever seen someone do a double victory on the same day. So that was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I like no. local stuff. I mean, I like you said, we the pros and including me, like I started with the multi-sport Canada triathlon series. That was sort of an introduction to elite racing to me because. I was able to go to these local races where there was a little bit of a uh, prize money incentive at the end of the year if you did well in four races. So um, I could go to these local races. And at the time, I was on the multi-sport ambassador team. So I, was, I didn't have to pay for these races. And I just had to help them out and do a little bit of uh, promotion for them. And then at the end of the year, I was able to win a thousand bucks because I, I did well in four races. So that's such a good way to introduce yourself to the to the elite racing because there are some really good athletes locally and it's hard like if you're starting as a pro you can't afford to just go to 10 races and you know around the world in the year and obviously in your first pro year you're not expecting to make money so it's really important and and in 2017 I wasn't able to race locally as much you know I kind of got overwhelmed with all that traveling and and the new kind of international racing that I was doing and then in 2018 I really wanted to make sure I I gave back and kind of went back to the local try scene a little bit and like you said the the way the sega beach was so much fun and it helped it was great because i was able to help my team lpc get some points for the uh, team club challenge and yeah i do do two races i use it as a really good training day for i forget which race i was building up for at that point but it was just a great day to go out and do some training at slightly above half ironman pace and do two races and it was awesome so much fun yeah for sure man absolutely i think it's i think it's amazing to see and and now, I guess, looking ahead to the 2019 season, have you sort of lined up your full season yet? Like for the 70.3 distances as well as the any local races you may be attending? Yeah, I've uh, I've got pretty much the whole season planned as far as the, uh, the 70.3s and the pro races go. And then locally, I actually haven't planned which ones are, I'll be doing other than Barrelman, which I'll for sure be at again. But I, pro- I definitely will be doing at least one multi-sport race whether I do with Sega Beach again, or I know they have a little bit of a different structure this year where they have individual races with a little bit of prize money, and I, I'll probably try to get to one of those. Um, so I, I don't know, honestly, like it, 
like you said, doing the local stuff and being so close, I don't have to plan it as far ahead. And, and honestly, when I go to them now, I don't really taper anything. I use it as a training day and a fun day to go and support the local tri community. So I may, I may not even know till like a week out and decide, Hey, here's a race I'll go do. And maybe it'll be Gravenhurst or who knows, but, uh, I'll definitely be at something. That's for sure. Awesome. No, that's cool, man. And so then as far as the 70.3s go, do you, are, is there an end goal? Like are you, are you hoping to get to the, the world championships or sort of how's your season look so far with those? Yeah, well, uh, I definitely am going to world championships in Nice. I've already qualified for that. So um, that's September 9th, I believe, or in that range uh, in uh, Nice, France. So that's the A race of the year. Um, but before that, I've got, like I said, St. George next weekend. And then a couple weeks after that, I have at Nuke at 70.3. And then I have a five-week gap uh, where I'll be just training and building fitness. And then I'm hoping to do, well, I'll be definitely doing Mont Blanc and Coeur d'Alene 70.3s back-to-back weekends. And then about a month later or three weeks later is what is when the New York City Triathlon typically is, but I'm not sure. They haven't confirmed that they're even going to have a the pro race this year. So that's kind of up in the air, but I'll definitely be doing Santa Rosa 70.3 at least. So that's at the end of July. And then I'll have a six-week break there, which is a perfect training block to build into Worlds uh, for my A race in early September there. And then um, kind of just after that, I'm going to ride out whatever fitness I have and, and try to do a couple or a few more races. I'll do like for sure Barrel Man two weeks after Worlds. And then the week after that, I hope to do Augusta 70.3. And then uh, I might go back to Buenos Aires, the South American Championship right at the start of November, or maybe do a race in Texas the week before that in October instead. I haven't for sure decided right at the end there, but yeah, I got three blocks of races. So the first block I've almost done or I'm our way through now. And then I got another block in the middle of the summer and then another block at the end of the year. So awesome. And no, it's cool. It, it, you obviously seem like you really have it planned out pretty good. And that's, that's a fair amount of racing, which I think is awesome. And, and I guess that's one of the cool things about doing the 70.3 distances is how many races you can get in, in a given year, which is pretty awesome because if, if those are all like, if you were to do full Ironman distance racing, you'd need a lot more, I guess, downtime in between each race. Now, have you ever tried doing the full Ironman distance or ever considered jumping over to that? Or is the 70.3 sort of your, your niche? Great question. Yeah. I mean, I love racing a lot. Like you said, I can, I can get a bunch of these halves in and the, this year it's a bit of a experiment where I really do like doing like 10 plus races in a year and I feel like I can handle it. It's just a matter of how, how do you plan it out? How can you maintain fitness for that long? And this year is the first year where I've I've really done it in three blocks of races where there's five to six weeks in between each block to build fitness back and to really get back into that peak shape, hopefully. Um, so I think that'll work better for me, where in the last couple of years, I've noticed I've kind of had them more evenly spaced out throughout the whole summer and I haven't had those big five or six week breaks. So towards the end, like it just became hard to maintain that highest level and I just I just found that I was just inching down in my fitness a bit, not, not a lot, but a couple percent lower kind of Watts and, and power, like all, all my best races tended to be around April, May, June. So hopefully I can kind of do better this year to maintain that. But yeah, um, as far as Ironman goes, I, I probably will do it sometime. Definitely not this year and probably not next year, almost certainly not next year. If I, if I do one, it'll probably be two or three years from now. 
I'm not really in a rush because I still feel like I have a ways to go in, in really accomplishing my goals in 70.3 and, and getting to my peak shape for that. So I, I'd like to, I really want to get a top 10 at Worlds this year, 70.3. Uh, I think I'm capable of it. And I'm really starting to just get that experience where I can run better off the bike and run a lot better in the last half of the half marathon. And I just want to see where I can get in the 70.3 before I decide to go do an Ironman. Like I find some people decide, oh, you know what? 70.3, like I, it's not going great. I'm going to try Ironman now. And I want to do the exact opposite of that. I want to get as good as I can in 70.3 and then decide, okay, now I'm ready to try the Ironman. Cause I know it's not going to be a walk in the park. Like I know, I know uh, Cody, he, Cody Beals, he's a friend of mine and, and he's a good mentor to me. And, and he, he waited uh, quite a while before starting his first Ironman and he, he crushed it. And I don't expect to do that well in my first Ironman, but if I could go and really compete in my first one, that would be, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, no, I, I like that you said that, right? Like, I think a lot of people just naturally have that idea that they want well, a lot of people might want to jump to the full Ironman as quick as they can because they think that's sort of the the end goal, right? But it's it's awesome to see. And and like you said, it's it's great to be racing in the 70.3 distance. There's absolutely no rush to ever have to go full. Like some people don't ever even try to full, and that's completely fine, right? Like 70.3 is a great top caliber racing as it is. So and like we just mentioned earlier, you can get a lot more races in a given year. So it's a really good distance to to do, but no, it's cool to see that you're definitely taking your time on it and it's going to be a well strategic plan when you do the full Ironman and, and you're right. Yeah. Watching Cody finally do it. And he, uh, I don't think too many people do that when they do their first full Ironman. So that was oh, no, pretty rare. No, it was awesome. And I know this is kind of looking down long-term, but if there, if you were to do a full Ironman, would there be a certain race that you would want to be like your number one, like for sure, like this is the race that you want to do as your first one, or it's just kind of, we'll see when you get there. Good question. I honestly have not even thought about it that much other than I think I want to do a late season um, Ironman because everyone responds differently. And I've seen people go do an Ironman and then just they're just not the same like mentally and physically for the rest of the season. Um, so I think it would be a mistake for me to go and do an early season Ironman and then potentially ruin my season if I if I just can't recover or or I don't even know because I haven't done it. So I think if I were to do it, it would it would probably be maybe not my last race of the year, but I certainly wouldn't do one before August, and I, I would probably wait until September and pick one to do then. So maybe maybe Chattanooga would be a good one just off the top of my head because it's at a good time of year. But yeah, I, who knows what will even be available because the races always are changing, and two or three years from now, it might be a different scene completely. Yep. No, absolutely. No, that's a good, good way of looking at it. And and now, I guess just speaking, because you said earlier that you do, or like just yesterday or a couple of days ago, you did the Olympic uh, triathlon and you switch back and forth, I guess, between 70.3s and Olympic. And, and do you ever train or change your training volume or intensity switching between them? Or is it just you, your training stays the same, focusing on the 70.3s and you just change your pacing, I guess, to, to do an Olympic or to do a sprint? Sort of how's the training kind of work that way? Yeah. Um... Well, I definitely do more halves than I do any other distance. So the focus was for sure the halves. And uh, the training, although it's focused on halves, uh, much like a lot of pros nowadays, it's, I don't spend a lot of time at that half Ironman pace. I, I certainly am, am familiar with it, and I, I go there frequently. 
um, in my training, but I do a lot more of my intensity at a higher effort level than half iron pace. So something more similar to an Olympic dry pace or even sprint dry pace or even higher than that. Um, that goes for the swim, bike and run. So when I do come to an Olympic race, I've, I'm really familiar with that effort level and getting up to those higher numbers on the bike and faster pace on the run. It's just a matter of in the week leading up to the race and and kind of slightly before that, just honing in on that pacing and, and really becoming familiar with it, doing a few a couple workouts where I focus on that pace a little bit more. And that goes the same with half. When, I, when I'm going into a half, I do just a couple more workouts in, on the taper week and the, when I'm doing just the lower volume training, I, I hone in on that pace and really become comfortable there. And just that's more mentally than anything, just to, okay, this is my pace, this is what I'm focusing on, this is what it's got to feel like when I'm racing. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. Cause a lot of people actually not on thinking about that, even myself included, I have a couple of 70.3s throughout the year and I also do a lot of uh, Olympics in between that. So you just got to kind of look at it. It's nice to see how other people are focusing on their training. Is it, is it all like, what's the, what paces are you looking at? But that just explained it really well right there. So I think that's awesome. And, and now of course you train out of Guelph and there's uh, Oddly enough, there's a few recognizable names out of there, like Taylor Reed, Cody Beals, and and there's, uh, I mean, first off, I guess, what's the deal in Guelph? Like, what's in the water that's pumping out such great caliber triathletes out there? You just seem to have so many guys out there that are just killing it these days on the courses. Yeah, well, honestly, I think I think what it is is it started when the Provincial Training Center opened up in Guelph. I don't know exactly when it was. I'm going to guess it was about 12 years ago or 10 years ago. And that was a ITU group, I believe funded by, I believe it was funded by Tri-Canada. At least it was for a while. It, it changed its name to the Re- Regional Training Center. And then it became, a few years ago, um, the funding got stopped for it. But the coach, Craig Taylor, stayed. And he started his own program called the Guelph Triathlon Project. And that still is in Guelph. And that's a group of draft legal athletes who do very well in the ITU. Like, you know, they have, they have some big names there. And Joanna Brown is affiliated with that group. I think she is now. So so that group was there. And then, you know, although they're two different sports in a sense, the non-drafting and draft legal, we all have to swim, bike, and run. So I guess I, I came to golf because I just went there for university and happened to be there. And I guess it was maybe the luckiest thing that happened in my triathlon career because that's where I found Coach James and started training with him. And this other elite group was here. And at the time when I started training, I was nowhere near as fast as any of them. But here's this group doing all these awesome swim workouts and at the same pool. And you just kind of eventually get fast enough and then sometimes train with them. And Cody happened to grow up in Fergus, which is right near Guelph. And he knew about this group and would come down into Guelph and train sometimes. And then he eventually moved to Guelph a couple of years ago. So that's how Cody got there. And then it, it, people just kind of go to where the good athletes are because everybody wants to train with other high caliber athletes because it just it helps you to just get that next level and, and really uh, have those people to push you. So I think Taylor came because he wanted to work with the coach, Craig Taylor, there. And he saw that they had the really good the draft legal athletes who were going to help him to improve his swim and, and run. And, and they can work together on the bike, too, doing slightly different things. So it's really, I think it's just the people who are there. And it's a, it's a good place to train for sure. Like there's great um, areas for biking and running and stuff. And there's also an amazing running culture there with the Speed River Track Club and the Guelph Griffins have a really good track team. So I think it's just kind of people go to where the good athletes are. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's it's, it's, the way I always explain to people. It's kind of like the 
the Boulder, Colorado of Canada, or I guess here in Ontario, without the elevation differences, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, they all gravitate toward the same place. And like you just said it there, I think it's because of the, the caliber of athletes that they can train with. So that, that's really cool to see. And uh, no, that's interesting. And, and at the same time, I guess, being out of Guelph, um, so you're with the Loring Personal Coaching Triathlon Group, right? So can you tell us a little bit about the, the roots of sort of where that all came to play with you? Because uh, they're quite a big triathlon team here in Ontario. And now do they start, I guess, from just training professional development or was it more of a community-based training that ultimately just had a lot of high caliber triathletes in it? Good question. So my start with OPC came, I actually was familiar with this uh, group um, coached by Lori Zagar when I was younger. I, I don't even know if she's coaching anymore. And she kind of coached some some junior elite athletes and, and we were going to Guelph and I, I think it was my dad asked her hey, like, is there a coach in Guelph that might be a good fit? And she recommended James. And so my dad and I, I think we started out by just booking like a swim video session with him um, just to work on our swim form. And we were pretty impressed with, you know, his expertise and his his tips and his knowledge. So we eventually, uh, not not too long after that, we started working with him as our coach. And he he started in, he was a professional triathlete and he started in, he grew up in Windsor and I think he kind of started building his team there. And then when he came to Guelph to train, I believe with the provincial training center, he started building up his team here and his family here and he stayed in Guelph and, uh, he just really has a passion for helping develop elite triathlon. And he's got this, the team within LPC called the LPC hurdle project. And that's really a team to help develop athletes into Lead athletes if if they're if they have high performance goals and if they have you know if they're students and it's hard it's hard to pay for like a professional coach when you're a student and a lot of times coaching fees are expensive and so he's able to help and, and reduce fees for people like that so that's kind of how I started is with him is he he was able to be an amazing coach for me and he focuses a ton of energy and time into developing a really good plan excuse me to develop elite athletes and he was able to give me a great deal and he does that for all the hurdle project athletes and not to mention other benefits with sponsors and with deals with bike shops and or bike fits and things like that so that really helped me and honestly I I just, I got really lucky to have found James. Like I wasn't, I, like I said before, I wasn't even really focused on triathlon at a high level when I first found James. Like I had some success, but I wasn't thinking really along the lines of professional or things like that. And I just found James and his, he's, he's such a good coach with planning the training and the load and building it up over time and, and seeing that long-term future ahead that the athlete, like I, he saw things in the future that I didn't even think about and he still does. And, uh, I mean, I've been working with him for, let me think it was 2012. So it's coming up to seven years now. And I, it doesn't even cross my mind that I would want a new coach anytime soon. So, uh, I got, I got really lucky to be totally honest to have, uh, to have met James and he has a bunch of coaches working with him now that they're just, it's a really good team. And, uh, it's, it's awesome that we have success at the age group level, but I think the one, the one thing that people don't see too much in the team is the elite level, which is now starting to build up. We've got some pros coming up. Um, I know Ben Rudson just had his first pro race here. Uh, he did in St. Anthony's here actually he finished 11th in his first ever pro race and he was right in the mix and it was awesome to see. And Derek Lowen, who's doing halves this year. He's been with James a long time too, and he's really developed. And, and Dylan Dylan Pust is coming up as a draft legal athlete, but 
people don't really see the elites on the team because it's such a big age group team. But yeah, that's the one thing is James is such a great coach for elites and age groupers. It's, it's pretty unique. It's awesome. Awesome. And I like to hear that. And it's really cool that you just said there that you've had no plans to ever even consider changing coaches because I, I did notice that quite a bit um, over this time is that I find a lot of pro triathletes will, will bounce back and forth to coaches and just sort of, they try one for a year and the results weren't there or they just wanted to find a new coach and they always switch it up a lot. And I think the longer you stay with a coach like that, I think the more of the coach gets an understanding and, and time to work with you. So that's really cool to see. And Obviously, the the whole team at LPC has done really well for themselves um, here in Ontario, and also just sort of making their themselves known around North America. So that that's really cool. And now, I guess if listeners are in that area um, and they're looking for triathlon teams, are they able to sort of just apply and join, or is there like a, a bit of a process to it? Because it's quite a big team. Um, yeah, really. The, I, I think it's pretty simple. I, um, the Loring Personal Coaching website. Uh, you can go on there, and there's just a. I know that there's a form that you fill out, but there's no, there's no like requirements to join. They have levels of like athletes of all different levels um, from, you know, honestly back of the pack athletes who are really just trying to finish the race all the way up to like pros, like I said. So you basically fill out a questionnaire and it helps them. It helps James and the other coaches to kind of get to know you and, and figure out who might be the best coach for you, or you can request a certain coach. Uh, some coaches don't have uh, space anymore. I think, I don't know if James has room for more athletes because he has so many that he's coaching, but I know Dave Hopkins, a new coach, uh, relatively new coach on the team who's got a lot of experience and he, he's a former elite and they've been building up his coaching over the last several years and, and he's doing really, really well. So um, like he would probably have space and Mark's been on the team for a long time and Alex Coates and they're all, uh, they'll find a coach that'll work for you is, is really uh, what I've noticed is it, people seem to f- end up with the coach that is best for them. And uh, yeah, you don't have to be like a special athlete or have any kind of a special talent to be on the team. It's just uh, anybody's welcome. Awesome. No, that's really cool. And I, I hope that anyone who's in that area definitely checks them out because that's really cool. And I think one of the biggest thing I, I learned early on is, that it, there's so much benefits in training in numbers and training with a, a team or with a coach because yeah, there's having three sports basically all within one and the training volume that comes with it. Like it, it's good to have other people's perspectives and opinions when they're training with you and it, it makes it easier to train with people around you. So there's so many benefits to being on a team or having coaches. So no, it's really cool. So definitely want any uh, age groupers out there to, to definitely consider something like that. Now, I mean, no, that's great. And so let's switch it up again and let's talk about your experiences with stack performance lately. Um, and it's been funny cause I think it was last week on, on Instagram, uh, you and Cody Beals were having the almost like an Instagram story wars who, who could dial in the aerodynamics more. And it's, it was hilarious watching it. Now, obviously you guys train together and from what I read that you guys have similar bikes, similar wheels. So you guys think you'd be quite similar after in terms of like aerodynamics, but, uh, have you guys sort of received the results and see who won between you and Cody or, I would, I, I wish we had, I don't, we don't know yet. Um, it, it's fun. I mean, it's all, it's all in good fun. And Cody and I are good friends, of course, but, uh, but yeah, we have the same bike, we have the same wheels. So it's pretty interesting, um, that although as, as an aside, I guess the bike and the wheels don't matter as much as the actual, the actual position in the shape of the body of the athlete. Um, although they're very important to, to go fast. Of course, you could have the most aero bike and wheels in the world, but if you're sitting up and not even in your aero bars, you're not going to be going fast. So, 
So that's obviously we're both pretty dialed in on the arrow position. He's, he's certainly spent more time uh, in the wind tunnel and the virtual wind tunnel and um, just dialing those little details in. And although I have, I haven't spent a lot of time doing the little tweaks there. Um, I just, I do have a pretty aggressive position and um, I I've done my research and I know what things are fast and what aren't fast and, and what to look for and how to make those, how to do those big things that are going to make a huge difference. Um, all the little tweaks he does definitely help, but that's the last 1%. And I think I'm going to be, I think I'm going to have a lower CDA and be more arrow because the main thing is, like I said, the body position and size, and I'm a little smaller than him. So it's just physics that I should have a little bit lower drag, assuming that my position's reasonably good. So we'll see. But we've also trained together a lot and just training uh, with him. It seems like, it seems like when we train together, I have a little, I can go the same speed with a little bit less power than him. Um, just like I said, I'm a little bit smaller. So, but, but who knows the, the, the wind tunnel will tell and, uh, maybe, maybe he'll win. I think 81% of his followers thought he was <laughs> more arrow. So we'll have to see. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, that's, that's awesome. And it's amazing to see because, uh, I'm excited. I, I think I'm going, I think it's this Wednesday, actually, I'm heading down to Toronto for a couple or for quite a while to test out the virtual wind tunnel myself. And I think it's just for the price and what it's worth. I think it's absolutely, it's, it's invaluable to like, it's such good knowledge to have. So um, now, I mean, for those who don't know sort of what the wind tunnel is, the virtual wind tunnel, could you briefly summarize uh, what it was all about and what your experiences were there? Yeah. Um, so basically I went into the stack um, stack performance, I guess, virtual wind tunnel, as it's called, it's just their warehouse. And they, they basically, Andrew has uh, it's this scanner thing that you hook up to like an iPad and over the course of a couple minutes, he basically like you stay still in your aero position and he scans your body and your bike. And he basically scans and gets a 3d image of what your position and all your equipment and stuff is. And then they can put it into their program that they've designed and it'll tell you what your drag is, your CDA or your coefficient of drag, which is essentially the same thing that you would get if you went to an actual wind tunnel. Um, it would get you your CDA. So the big benefit of it is you don't have to go to an actual wind tunnel. You don't even have to go to the stack um, warehouse to do it because as long as you have a scanner or someone has a scanner and they can scan you, then you know, then you can get your CDA. So um, it's really cool because it's way cheaper um, than going to an actual wind tunnel and booking time in there. Cause that's like so expensive, um, hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour. Not to mention there are few and far between these wind tunnels. So, um, and it's, and they're really, Andrew especially has so much expertise in knowing what things might be more aero and what might not. So what you can do is scan your position and they can run some simulations to say, oh, you know, if you, if you were able to raise your hand position up a little bit or down a little bit or choose this helmet instead of this helmet or, you know, drop your aero bar pads down and half an inch or up a half an inch or centimeter or, they can, they can do those simulations and tell you what is likely to be the most arrow for you, even if you don't have that equipment yet or have, have no idea. You know, a lot, of, a lot of age group athletes would have no idea what helmets might be more arrow and 
And uh, it can really help just to move something a, a fraction of an inch here or there and get a different helmet. And you might be able to save, you know, a couple minutes off your Ironman at least or more. So it's, it's totally invaluable. Like it could be like I've seen, th- I've, I've heard stories where people can save like a crazy amount of time just by moving like their elbow pads in a little bit or something like that. It's, it's, it's like a no brainer. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's great with explaining it too. And, and I'm looking forward to it myself. Like I I've had a bike fit done, like a, a very detailed bike fit and I'm excited now to see now it's, it's not too aggressive of a arrow position, which I was, to be honest, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of one, but it'd be kind of great to see now testing it in the virtual wind tunnel of how it works. And then if they can determine any tweaks and kind of what will give me more aerodynamics. So that'll be a lot of fun. So I'm super looking forward to that. And now if anyone obviously wants to check it out, um, and see if they have a, a local virtual wind tunnel to them, then uh, they can head to stackzero.com. And I think it's, you just book an appointment anywhere, I think in like Europe or, or North America. And I mean, so it, it should be pretty straightforward. Like I didn't check the exact locations where they all are, but for sure there's some in Europe for sure across North America. And I mean, for those who want to know more about virtual wind tunnel or, or their smart trainers, the stack has the stack zero housing smart trainers, which is kind of posted all over my Instagram. Cause that's one I use lately. And it's been amazing, but, uh, then definitely you guys check it out on that website too. So it's uh, really cool. And, and so you said you haven't got your results back yet, but they'll send you some. Is that correct? Or? Yeah. So the turnaround time varies based on what their backlog is because it's been getting pretty busy for them. Uh, so they've been working really hard to pump those out pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, um, I should be getting it back shortly. I mean, I was just there very recently um just last week but it's cool it, i'm really excited to see because they're going to give me a few personally they're going to give me a few scenarios of you know this is what it might be if you raised your hands up this is what it might be if you chose this helmet and, and uh and you know a couple other things so they should have it back shortly and then we'll know the answer to that uh that little battle between cody and i between <laughs> is lower we didn't bet anything on it which is unfortunate we still could i might bring that back <laughs> up on uh, instagram but uh, i'm also going to make a video of you know my experience at the wind tunnel we got some footage and we'll put together a short video as well just seeing like how it worked for me and what i learned and stuff so that'll go up on my youtube channel Beauty, man. That's perfect. No, great. That's uh, it's good to hear. And and now I guess we can switch it up a little bit and uh, talk about nutrition. So uh, I, I constantly love to ask this question because I find that a lot of amateur athletes or age group triathletes uh, struggle with the concept of like keeping hydration or adequate hydration and nutrition topped up on the course. Um, because I guess it, like when you think about nutrition is almost half the battle on the side. So uh, do you have any tips sort of you can give them to help decide on sort of what the best on-course nutrition is for I mean, let's say the 7.3 distance, I guess that's kind of the, the common race theme. So, um, any tips for age groupers? Yeah. I mean, I, for me this year, I've been working with first endurance, um, and the, uh, first endurance Canada team and their products have been, have been awesome for me this year. Um, so basically what I do is I use, um, obviously in the swim, don't take in anything course unless you accidentally drink some of the water which isn't recommended um and then on the bike what i do i have my venton bottle which holds 1.4 liters so it's basically two normal water bottles so i i fill that with their uh their regular sport drink so that is my kind of base hydration and that has quite a bit of electrolytes and it's it's perfect because it has enough electrolytes that i don't need to take in any salt pills or anything like that it has a little bit more electrolytes than most um sport drinks so it's it's really good for that. And then that gets me maybe a third of my calorie intake. 
And then the rest of my calorie intake, I use a first endurance um, EFS liquid shot, which is basically like a gel, but it comes in a bigger container. So instead of taking like five gels, I basically, one of these containers is equivalent to, I guess it's four gels. So what I do is I actually fill up a small water bottle, which goes between my arrow bars with about one and a one and a half of these liquid shots. So it's equivalent to about six gels. And then I put a little extra water in with it just to make it quicker to drink. Um, and so with that combined with my uh, EFS drink mix, um, I try to personally take in about 100 grams of carbs per hour on the bike, which is definitely higher than I'd recommend for most people, but it works really well for me. And I get to the run feeling like I still have quite a bit of energy and, and that, that kind of ratio of what I put in my bottles will change a bit. If it's a hot race, I'll have an additional bottle behind my seat and that'll have EFS drink mix as well. And, uh, and then I don't need to take in as much of the liquid shot gel, but either way, I try to get around that 200 grams of carbs because I bike for about two hours or slightly more. Um, so I usually bring about 225 with me and then I won't quite finish all of it. Or if I, if I feel like I need it, I will sometimes finish all of it. And then, um, on the run, I carry a, an EFS liquid shot with me, which has four gels. So basically I'll just slowly sip on that throughout the whole run and get my roughly hundred grams of carbs in. I, I maybe, maybe won't finish the whole thing because I'll on course, I'll just grab fluids and whatever I feel like. Sometimes I feel like having a bit of a Coke or a little bit of sport drink and that works. Um, but sometimes it's just water washing down that gel and staying cool by splashing water and trying to get ice and stuff. And it worked great for me in Salou, which is my first race of the year. I did challenge Salou and, uh, I had my best run ever there by far. And part of that was just a perfect nutrition plan where I just, I didn't have any cramps. I didn't feel like I was low on energy at any point. So that was awesome. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. And so those liquid shots having so much, so there's so many carbs, I guess. How do you like, how's the flavor? Is it, is it pretty good or does it taste really concentrated or? It's, it's not overly concentrated. It's actually, it's a little, it's a little bit more liquidy. Even when I don't add water, like just the regular concentration of it, it's a little more liquidy than a normal gel and flavor wise, they have quite a few, but my favorite one is, well, my two favorites are vanilla and the dry berry. And it's not overly strong. Like it, it is sweet. Like it is a gel and you're taking in a lot of carbs and sugar at once. Um, but it's a, it's a blend of complex carbs, dextrose, and they're, this company researches the best products to put in. They, it's, it's all based on research and what helps you absorb the best and what is proven to work. It's not you know, a lot of companies are coming out with, oh, it has to be all this type of complex carb because it's not sugar and sugar's bad for you. And all these buzzwords that they try to just convince people that, oh, sugar's bad or this is bad or that's bad. But first endurance just bases it off of science and what works. And for me, that's been like, it helps absorb. They put dextrose in because that's what helps you absorb the quickest. And they put a little bit more, they put maltodextrin and some more complex carbs in because that helps with making it kind of release at a like an even pace instead of just a spike and then needing more right away so it, it's really well researched and that goes for their recovery products as well um like they actually cite research articles on the labels of their products because that's where they got the information so yeah it's great i mean i wouldn't recommend most people being in 100 grams an hour i know cody's on the higher end as well taking in about 100 grams an hour there's there's probably some correlation between elite athletes because we're burning at a higher rate than most people that we can take in a little bit more. Um, but definitely trying to get in as much as you can handle is, 
is better than less because the more energy you can take in, the better you're going to feel, especially later on in the race, as long as your gut can handle it. And training with it is extremely important and in, in doing that in training as well. Exactly. Yeah, I know that's true. And, and yeah, you're right. So hundred is definitely on the higher end for sure. I, I've heard a lot of the average would be consistently around 60, but so for those who, who, those who don't know, I guess, uh, definitely try it. Like you said, in training, uh, start with, I'd, I'd recommend maybe start with 60 and, and build your way up on it and just sort of see how it feels in your gut. Because I think I would, uh, I could probably go higher than what I have been up in around 60 mark, but hearing guys go go upward of a hundred, that's, uh, means there's definitely room to to test with it for sure. So I might try to go a little bit more, but I also know at the same time I train with some guys and they, they have the hardest time keeping anything down on a, on a course. So it's very dependent and you don't really know until you try it. So definitely it's good to see how you had that all planned out. And it's really good to see that first endurance offers so many products and that liquid shot's actually really cool. So I'm going to be looking into that one myself. I think that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Look into it for sure. And, and, uh, they have, they have a, a good mix of electrolytes in all their products. So you, for most people, they would never need to take in any extra salt. And uh, unless you're like a super high sodium sweater, which is pretty rare. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's worked really well for me and I don't have to add anything to it, which just helps. Perfect, man. Awesome. So that's good. And I know, I guess let's kind of wrap things up with a little bit of the one minute Q and a fire round. So we'll just try and ask as many questions as I can within the minute and uh, we'll see how many short answers we can get out. Are you good for that? Absolutely. All right. So if you're good to go, then I'll start the timer and then we'll go from there. Okay, let's go. All right, so your favorite race distance? Uh, 70.3. What's your go-to pre-race breakfast? Uh, changes. Changes, eh? Yeah. <laughs> that's, good. <laughs> that's good. Depends on the day. Depends on how you yeah, feel. Yeah, so. the day. Uh, favorite local race? Uh, I'm going to have to say the Barrel Man Triathlon. Awesome. And what's your worst discipline between the swim, bike, run? Swim. Now, who do you think will take the Kona 2019, one male and one female? Oh, I'm going to have to go Ferdino and Danielle Reef. Oh, I thought you were going to say Beals. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, he's gonna, he's gonna, he'll get there one day. Well, for sure. No, it's the, uh, what's the most beautiful place you've traveled. Oh, uh, I'm going to have to say uh, Switzerland. Nice. And who was your biggest influence in triathlon? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, my biggest influence is probably my coach, James, but my biggest hero would be Simon Whitfield. Awesome. No, very cool. And we're over the one minute, but just last question here. Um, have you or ever considered trying Zwift racing or do you ever use Zwift? Yeah, I have. I do use Zwift. I do the occasional race. They're really fun um, and they're great training, but I try not to get too roped into it because that can lead to changing my training more than I need to be. <laughs> exactly yeah it'd be a big change in <laughs> in training no that's cool yeah i always like to hear when other people uh do the racing because like they said yeah it's a very top top end style of, of training to say the least so it could definitely throw off your schedule if you if you have a game plan already <laughs> so yeah no, it makes sense awesome man so uh that that's pretty much a wrap obviously I keep going all day but uh i don't want to take too much of your time you're in florida so definitely enjoy it but uh before we finish up here do you have any sponsors that we haven't already already mentioned today that um or any other training partners you want to give shout outs to or yeah. Um, well, I mentioned a bunch of my sponsors, but, uh, definitely, uh, they all deserve a mention. Just like I, I say this all the time, but pro triathletes would not be able to do this without sponsors because, you know, we need to, uh, we need to pay the bills and we need to have the equipment to do it. So, um, 
some of my sponsors I wasn't able to mention. Ownway Apparel, they do all my race kits, my my cycling kits, running stuff. Blue Seventy, they have awesome wetsuits, swim skins, goggles, and everything. Um, Hugh Dog Athletics, actually, it's a bike race team run by Steve Hewitt, and he helped me out with, uh, with putting together the Ventum, uh, putting on components and and some different accessories, and uh, he's he's been awesome. Um, EKOS Orthotics, um, I never thought I would want to use orthotics until I met Drew, and he's really got an eye for uh, athletics and how to make orthotics specifically for athletes, not just for people. Um, so he's, he's awesome. Check, check out DKOS. Triathlon Ontario. Um, I'm on the Triathlon Ontario long course development team this year. Uh, it's really awesome that they put that together and be able to support some local pros there. Uh, Prolutions Project Management. They've been helping me out since I started. Um, and yeah, Velofix. Velofix Hamilton. Um, he's it's awesome to have someone to come to you and do your bike stuff and, and kind of take that stress away. So he's been huge. And uh, Zizu Optics, they've been my sunglasses sponsor for years, and, and Ari makes awesome, awesome stuff, really lightweight, and he researches the heck out of his sunglasses. So, like, I've never had a pair break. I have the first pair I ever got, like, four years ago. So, <laughs> they're awesome. Awesome, man. No, it's very cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all those. And, and you're right, dude. At, at the end of the day, it's not like all these professional triathletes are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like it, you have, you have to work hard. There's lots of hours of training every day that go into it. And it's, it's huge that the, there's such a great amount of sponsors out there that can kind of make this all possible, right? Like I think if, if there weren't many sponsors, I think that'd make a big difference in the, the amount of triathletes that are making it a career almost. So no, it's awesome. That's good to see. No, there's definitely no, it's hardly very few triathletes making a lot of money and, and uh, it's so top heavy. Like it, falls off like crazy after the top few and really in North America, like this is the first year. I mean, it's just past taxis and everyone's done their taxes. This is the first year I've ever actually owed a little bit of tax, which means it's the first year I've actually made enough money to survive basically. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so it's, yeah, uh, it's tough, but we don't do it for the money. We do it because we love it. So, uh, if there wasn't a little bit of the struggle there, then, then, uh, I don't know. It wouldn't, wouldn't be the same. For sure, man. No, honestly. So uh, that's great. So definitely, um, thanks again for coming on the show. And obviously we'll be rooting for you throughout the, this year and, um, uh, you'll be obviously repping Canada. So we'll be proud whenever you go. So, uh, other than that, man. Yeah, no worries. So other than that, we'll keep in touch and, uh, have you back on sometime. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. It's been fun and, uh, good luck with your racing this year too. Perfect. Thanks, man. Take care. You too. Bye. Well, guys, there you have it. Jackson is an incredible role model in triathlon, and he's obviously a wealth of knowledge. I'm so glad we were able to have him on today's show. Now, guys, if you want to hear more podcasts like these, then hit that subscribe button, and you can follow me on Instagram at pacing.and.racing, and you can check us out on YouTube by searching Pacing and Racing. And as always, I'd like to offer some exclusive discounts to a few great brands that I'm an ambassador for. But of course, due to the ambassador policies, I can't post these codes on public platforms. So in saying that, if you do go to my Instagram page, again, that's at pacing.and.racing, and if you click the link in the bio, sign up for the email list. I send all my subscribers with an email with 25 to 60% off discount codes to some great, amazing triathlon companies. Now, lastly, if you did like this episode, please take two minutes to leave a kind review on the podcast channel as this helps us get heard by more listeners through the podcast platform algorithms. Other than that, guys, thanks a lot and we'll talk to you next time.